This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the January 29th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. Uh, like, really great. I finally feel 100% healthy. I know we had some bronchitis and laryngitis and some other things, but man, ENTs, ear, nose, throat doctors, they're, they're awesome. So, 100% good, voice is 100%, and uh, NASCAR is just around the corner. That's good. We need your, uh, your voice to be 100% at the beginning of the season because it is a long NASCAR season. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Oh yeah, it's a slog, but definitely 36 uh, regular season races and then the clash. I think DraftKings will probably end up doing slates for the duels again. So going to have another long season ahead of us, but an exciting season, I'm sure. Definitely. So uh, this week, we're going to talk about the trends from the 2017 season. Uh, we're also going to announce the winner of the 2017 Road of His NASCAR playoff contest. So just to give a uh, kind of a big picture overview of where we are in the NASCAR seasonal landscape. Last week, we recapped the 2017 season. We also looked ahead to, th- to 2018 uh, for NASCAR and then also for the Road of His NASCAR coverage. This coming weekend, we're going to do the most important NASCAR episode of the year. And uh, I don't say that in some sort of like braggadocious manner. Like it literally is the most important episode of the year. We've done that episode. Uh, This is going to be the third one we've done for the past two seasons. It's been very popular. It's one that people go back to routinely and listen to because uh, it is evergreen. It is applicable for the entire year. So be sure to catch that one. And then after that, uh, that is the weekend of the first slate of the year. That is the advanced auto parts clash at Daytona. Uh, Nick, you have won the big GPP at that slate for two years in a row. So uh, that is an episode that everyone will want to tune in for. Uh, but let's start right now with the two, with the 2017 NASCAR playoff contest. Uh, let's break this down. Nick, we had 137 entries to go through. And by we, I mean you, and I'm sure that was a really fun five hours of your life. Um, <laughs> yeah. In the end, uh, 
five people ended up with a score of 375 points or more. Uh, so uh, give us a recap of the structure and the scoring system for the contest. Sure. So, of course, the NASCAR playoffs, um, there's three rounds to the playoffs. It starts with 16 drivers. And then after three races, uh, the top, well, I should say after th three races, the winners of those races, if any of them were in those 16 drivers, move on to the next round. And then the remaining drivers in points fill up uh, the additional spots to get to 12 drivers. So four drivers are eliminated. And then from there, it goes from 12 down to eight with the same structure. Uh, there's three more races and any winners in those 12 that win uh, advance to the round of eight, uh, along with the rest being sorted by points until we get to eight drivers. And then from there, another round of three races, any winners of those eight drivers go on to the championship race at Homestead and uh, the rest are filled out by points for four drivers total. And then at Homestead, those four drivers compete for the championship. The highest finisher wins the championship. The second highest finisher is second in the championship, third highest and fourth highest, so forth among those four drivers. So that's the format of NASCAR's playoffs. Of our contest, we started the playoff contest when we got down to 12 drivers, and you had to pick eight drivers to make it to the third round of the playoffs, um, and then you had to pick four drivers to make it to the final round, the championship round of the playoffs, and then you had to order those four drivers. And the way the scoring was set up, if you correctly picked a driver to the round of eight, you got 16 points for each driver you correctly picked. Plus, you also got the number of the driver's seed. So the drivers were seeded one through 16 going into the playoffs. Uh, and based off of that seeding, um, you know, for example, Martin Truex Jr. was the one seed then uh, you would get one additional point if you correctly picked Martin Truex Jr. Uh, for example, Kevin Harvick was the sixth seed. If you picked him correctly to the next round, uh, you got the 16 points plus six for Kevin Harvick. So uh, if you got drivers to advance kind of um, to a further round and they were a lower seed, you could get some extra bonus points. So 16 points plus the driver's seed. If you correctly picked a driver to the final four, then you got 32 points. So you got the 16. Like if you pick Martin Truex Jr., you got 16 from going to the round of eight. And then you got another 32 for him going to the final four. Plus you get double the driver's seed. So for Martin Truex Jr., you get an additional two points. Um, Kevin Harvick made the final. So in that case, you would have gotten an additional 12 points for Kevin Harvick because if you correctly picked him to the final four and uh, so forth. So then from there, if you got the final four, you had to order them. If you correctly picked first place, so if you correctly picked the championship winner, which is Martin Truex Jr., you got 64 points plus four times his seed. Correctly picked second place, you got 32 points plus three times the driver's seed. If you correctly picked pick third place, you get 16 points plus two times the driver's seed. And fourth place, 16 points plus one time the driver's seed. And add all those up and those will be your total number of points. So pretty cool contest, and uh, we had some pretty pretty nice scores, but uh, one thing I thought was interesting is nobody out of 137, I don't believe there was a single person that picked Kyle Larson to not advance to the round of eight, and Kyle Larson did not advance to the round of eight. So that was very interesting. We knew Kyle Larson was one of the three or four best drivers throughout the whole season, and everybody picked him to go to the round of eight. Kyle Larson's engine blew up in the last race of the round of 12, and uh, he did not make the round of eight. Interesting. Uh, kind of a, a follow-up question on that. 
Would there have been, uh, based on the scoring system that we had, would there have been a lot of appeal to go contrarian, super contrarian, and fade Kyle Larson? Like, would that have made enough of a point difference uh, through the payoff there of fading him? Uh, it probably would not have, um, just because I think it would have been, I think it would have made more sense had Kyle Larson maybe actually won the championship or, or not won the champ, but had uh, more people picked Kyle Larson to win the championship. Right. But a lot of people at Kyle Busch, a lot of people at Martin Truex Jr. Of course, uh, who were probably the two best drivers throughout the season. There was some Jimmy Johnson's, a Kevin Harvick's, a couple of Brad Keselowski's, et cetera. So, uh, I think there wasn't enough Kyle Larson, picked to the finals and to the, be the championship winner to go contrarian. So in the end, obviously because nobody picked him uh, or nobody picked him to go out in the first round, it didn't make much of a difference, but also just the fact that, uh, you know, not enough people picked him to go all the way. It, it, there was no kind of like right. extremes there. It was basically everybody kind of doing the same thing around Kyle Larson. Interesting. Okay. Let's get to the winners. So our third place finisher, wins a one-year subscription to either the NFL or NASCAR Pass for 2018, I would recommend taking the NASCAR Pass. Uh, Nick, who is that third-place finisher? Yeah, so our third-place finisher got 390 points, got six out of eight going into the round of eight, and got all four drivers to make ever. They only picked first and second place correctly. They flipped third, fourth place. Uh, so they kept fourth and Brad Kiss third. So 390 points total. And the winner is the username Rory37. W A W sorry, R-A-W-R-Y 37. So I have their email address and I will be getting in contact with them to see if they want a year pass to NASCAR or to NFL. So congratulations, Rory37. Very nice bracket. All right, let's uh, talk about the runner-up. Uh, the runner-up gets a lifetime pass to either the NASCAR or NFL pass, and we actually had a tie on points for second and first place. Uh, and the tiebreaker was the number of laps led by the championship winner at Homestead, which was uh, Martin Truex Jr. So Truex had 78 laps, uh, which coincidentally also happens to be his car number. Uh, and it's totally irrelevant. But anyway, so Nick, who was uh, the runner-up? Our runner-up with 401 points, who picked Martin Truex Jr. to lead 126 laps. Uh, so Truex led 78. Got seven out of eight, of course, just missing Kyle Larson. And three out of four of the final four. Uh, so didn't even get all four of the final four. But they got first, second, and third. Truex, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick correctly PJV115 is our second place finisher. Congratulations. I'll be getting in touch with you to see if you want the NASCAR or the NFL pass for the rest of your life. Okay. The winner of the grand prize, which is a lifetime pass to all of Rotoviz, not just NASCAR or just NFL or just NBA, all of Rotoviz in perpetuity. I screwed that up. How would you say that? In perpetuity? Is that what it would be? Yeah. I have a math math forever. degree. I don't do English. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so forever, uh, plus a road of his pullover. Nick, who won the grand prize? Our winner, drumroll please, is with 401 points, picking 95 laps led for Martin Truex Jr. instead of 126, 
Got the same seven of eight drivers, the same three of four, and the same first through third. Ron Ranieri, so congratulations, Ron. You win a lifetime pass, or at least as long as Rotoviz is in existence, or you're in existence, whichever is shorter. Uh, hopefully it's not your existence. Uh, you win a lifetime pass, all of Rotoviz, and I'll be getting in touch with you to figure out your pullover size so we can send you a coveted Rotoviz pullover. We have so much more to get to, but before that, for all the people who didn't win, there's good news. One, there's early bird pricing for the NASCAR package at Rotoviz, uh, and that runs through Wednesday, January 31st. So be sure to get that. On top of that, uh, of course, you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, also, if you will indulge me for a moment, uh, I am obligated to tell you that uh, we are recording this the week of a very big football game. Uh, so for the people who are interested in putting some action on the game, I suggest that you check out mybookie.ag. It is the number one rated online sports book. Uh, so be sure to do that. They have odds on everything. Uh, I have to tell you, I have actually spent a, uh, unreal amount of my, uh, last couple of days, <laughs> like combing through all of their props. Uh, so for people who are interested in that, I think it's especially applicable to the people who play fantasy sports because you are kind of more attuned to, uh, the performances of individual players. Uh, and so there are a lot of props for you to look at there. Uh, player props, game props, uh, you know, Gatorade, uh, how many times the camera will show Giselle Bunchton, uh, so many different props. So everyone be sure to take a look at that at mybookie.ag. Uh, there is a 50% bonus if you use the promo code RotoRadio when you make your account. So be sure to visit mybookie.ag. Uh, okay, Nickelodeon. Let's get back to Matt, talking. I have, I have one thing to say. Yes. I wanted to, to chime in on these props here. My favorite prop of all time, Super Bowl betting, uh, was uh, the Denver Broncos versus Seattle Seahawks. I picked 66 to 1 at the first play or first score of the game would be a safety. And of course, Seattle got that safety. So uh, wow. all sorts of amazing props. Uh, but I'm definitely picking tails. It's always tails. It's got to <laughs> right. be. Of course. Yeah. I and mean, uh, it never also fails. that. that that NASCAR pass, remember, the price is increasing on Thursday. So if you want that 30% discount on the discount, do so before Thursday. Yes, yes. It runs out uh, on Thursday. So Wednesday, your last chance to get it. This is coming out on Monday night. So a, uh, a nice little window there for the people who listen to this right away. Um, okay, Nick, let's get back to the NASCAR talk. Uh, let's dive into some of the stats for 2007, uh, 2017. So with the introduction of stages to NASCAR uh, last season, it was just incredible. Uh, it raised the question of how races would play out. Uh, so you looked at both the number of cautions as well as the number and distribution of dominators within this new frame of the stages. Uh, let's start with the cautions. Uh, did the number of cautions change in 2017 relative to what we had seen in the previous years so for the most part the actual number of cautions uh didn't really change um 
you know, I think it's it's pretty. So I have the the numbers right here. There were 296 cautions in 2017, and there were 269 in 2016. So 296 versus 269 is an increase. However, that's only approximately one caution per race. And if you think there were two cautions per race for uh, the stages automatically, then really we saw essentially a decrease in non-stage cautions. But there was an increase from 2016. However, we go back to 2015, there were 298 cautions. And 2017, there were 296. So basically the, sta- the same. And 2015, of course, did not have stage breaks. So uh, in that case, it actually would seem like if you compare it to 2015, the number of non-stage cautions went down. So overall, I don't know if we can make a huge... Uh, I guess, assertion around the number of cautions uh, that, you know, just in general, because you go 298, then you go 269, and then this past year, 296. But we do know 64 of those approximately were from stages, or sorry, uh, 72 of those approximately were from stages this year. But it, the, the stage cautions did affect some other things as well, which I know we're going to talk about. But uh, at least just as far as the caution trends, um, it's pretty tough to say there was a different number of cautions from, you know, statistically significantly different number of cautions from prior years because uh, 2015 was basically the same. And then 2016, there was fewer. So just in terms of total cautions and, and, and total cautions matter just as much as the type of caution because cautions bunch the field back up, allow for more, more randomness. So the number is relevant. So saying 2015 and 2017 were basically the same means there was basically the same amount of randomness added by a number of cautions. So I can't really say there was a change in the number of cautions compared to prior years, uh, but I know we're going to have to break down how those cautions came about. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Let's talk about the type of cautions. So uh, cautions for debris, for accidents, there are the stage ending cautions, uh, and then there are some cautions that fall into like the quote-unquote other category. Uh, can you talk about the distributions and uh, how those were relative to the distributions from previous years? Certainly. So there was there was one major, major noticeable difference in 2017 compared to the last over a decade's worth of, of NASCAR. And the major, major change that happened in 2017 was the number of debris cautions were basically – half of the minimum number of debris cautions in any season since 2001. I said decade, it actually meant 15 years. So from 2001 until 2016, there were at least 40 debris cautions in every season. Uh, and there were, there were um, you know, obviously there was an average of 63 in those, in those years. So in those 15 years, there's an average of 63 debris cautions, which is like almost two per race. This year, there's only 21 debris cautions, or I should say in 2017, this past year, there's only 21 debris cautions, less than one per race. Uh, and that is a largely, massively, statistically significant difference. So um, NASCAR seems to have let them play out more because they knew they would have a stage end coming up, it seems to me. So the debris cautions were absolutely down. Obviously, there were 72 more stage cautions than any year we've ever had in in previous years, or approximately 72. I don't know if there were two every single race. But uh, so what that does is if we compare to 2016, where we said there was essentially one fewer caution per race, well, um, there were, you know, basically two, there are two debris cautions for every race. So 
essentially the the uh, if you take the number of debris cautions, uh, basically what I'm saying is the stage cautions made up for a lot of the debris cautions, and then there are some extra cautions from stages. So it's kind of hard to word. It's kind of hard to explain, but. Uh, most of the stage cautions made up for a lot of the debris cautions, so it certainly changed the way that those were those were distributed. As far as accidents go, uh, this is kind of pretty wild, but there were 187 cautions in 2017 for accidents or crashes or spins or things like that, and 181 in 2016. So essentially the same. So the number of on-track incidents was was basically the same. So really. The reason that the caution distribution changed was because of debris versus stage. Um, whether that it, whether that matters, that's something we'll need to talk about. But certainly the accident part, I think, is interesting because um, it, it means the stage racing didn't really seem to impact the number of accidents or issues on the track. We were wondering if drivers would race harder, um, things like that. So. Uh, just overall, the distribution really, really was was static on accidents, and then the debris cautions were mostly absorbed up and uh, transferred over to stage cautions with some extra cautions for stages as well. So, like if you add up the number of stage cautions plus debris cautions, it's more than most years of the past 15 years. So it seems like there is extra cautions just because you're, we've got all these stage cautions now. Okay, uh, I have a kind of stupid follow up question here, but if there, um, if the number of accidents is similar, why would the number of debris cautions go down? I'm assuming like debris comes about because of accidents, right? Like you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean debris can come from a lot of different things. I mean fans could throw not not throw something on the track, but like you can get hot dog wrappers, you can get parts and pieces of cars falling off, which may or may not come from accidents. Um, you can get Rubber, you know, if a tire comes apart, you can get all sorts of uh, debris cautions for different various reasons. Uh, you know, a piece of sheet metal on the road because a couple drivers made contact. So accident cautions, um, they create debris, but because there's an accident, the track has a chance to pick up all that debris. So uh, I think the reason the debris cautions were down, even though the accidents didn't change, is simply because of the stages NASCAR Felt like they didn't need, you know, if you have a caution coming up in five laps, you don't need to throw a caution for debris, um, which also kind of gives some credence to the fact that, you know, many years ago there were phantom debris cautions because uh, I think NASCAR sometimes it almost seemed like just wanted to generate competition if the race was getting out of hand and they throw a debris caution. Uh, now it's like, okay, we're not going to throw a debris caution unless there really, really, really is debris that is a problem. So it seems like they've been holding off on debris cautions, whereas back before the stages, they were a little more sensitive to debris, um, even if things probably really shouldn't have been debris cautions. It sounds like they were throwing them in the past. So, uh, yeah, I mean, accidents can lead debris to debris, but the correlation between accidents and debris is probably pretty minimal just because debris can come from non-accident things as well. Or two drivers can make contact and not have a caution because of the accident, but then debris falls on the track. You know, So they don't spin out, but maybe then debris does end up uh, dropping on the track or whatever. But really, I think the, the reason for the change uh, is just because of the stages. Interesting. Okay, so uh, overall, the number of stages... Uh, sorry, number of cautions was roughly equal uh, or greater than what we saw in the previous years. Debris cautions uh, were at record lows, accidents uh, about the same. 
all of that taken into consideration, what is your overall, uh, I guess, accounting of how cautions impacted the racing and what we saw in 2017 relative to what we had seen previously? Yeah, I mean, it's really tough to say because um, I think there are some similarities to like a debris caution and then a stage caution in that nobody spun out, there's no crash, it doesn't really, um, it, 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 it tends not to affect the race strategy. Uh, well, I guess I, I take that back. It does affect the race strategy differently because you can plan for the stage caution, whereas you can't plan for a debris caution. But uh, so I guess the major difference there is really in the planning for it. But even then, I mean, 21 debris cautions, almost one per race, uh, maybe like you know, a third, two thirds per race of a caution. So you can't plan those. But I think just the main thing is the total number of cautions. Uh, it keeps things packed up more. It keeps, you know, you get more free passes or lucky dogs, um, driver gets back on the lead lap, but it also jumbles up the strategy. So you get more randomness. So I think there could be just a touch more randomness uh, now than in, in years past, just because we've got these extra cautions. I know they're taking away the debris cautions, but still, if you add up the debris cautions and the stage cautions, we're going to get equal to or greater number of cautions. And uh, that'll keep more competitive rate, more randomness. Uh, and, and so I think that is really the main takeaway. I don't think we're going to see a uh, super change possibly going into 2018. But I, what I do know is that NASCAR is planning on cutting down the number of laps or making these stage cautions quicker than they were in 2017. The stage cautions in 2017 was a big pain point for fans. It seemed like you know, there were eight or 10 laps and they didn't need to be eight or 10 laps just to bunch everybody up, have them go through the pits and come back out. Obviously, now, obviously NASCAR wants to get their TV commercial time in, so they're going to still do their commercials, but NASCAR really wants to shorten the number of laps. And I think that's interesting because the number of laps that were run under caution this year was basically the same as the number of laps that were run under caution in 2016. However, as we talked about, there was one fewer caution per race in 2016. So the cautions were actually shorter, at least in terms of number of laps on average this year than in 2016. Now in 2015, there was the same number of cautions essentially as, uh, 20, as, as this past year in 2017, and there were far more laps under caution in 2015. Of course, it could also be what track did these cautions come out. If a caution comes out of Martinsville, you're probably gonna be running 12 laps under caution, whereas if a caution comes out of Daytona, you might be running three or four, as long as it's not like a 20 car wreck, right? If it's just some guy blew a tire and, and you, you, know, you have a 2.5 mile track. So, Part of it is where the, the cautions come, but I do think actually that the caution laps off of 2015 and 2016, the cautions weren't any longer in terms of number of laps in 2017. They're actually about the same or, or quicker on average, uh, even with the stage cautions that seem to be so long. So if they can trim that down, we might have fewer laps run under caution in 2018 than we've seen in any of the previous years, which would mean more green flag racing possibly which would mean more fastest lap potential uh, because fastest laps only count under green. It might be a small difference, but it could be a little bit of difference. And I do think, uh, again, with the, the number of cautions being possibly equal to or higher than previous years, um, we could continue to see just a little bit more randomness than we saw in 16, 15, 14, and so forth. Maybe similar to what we saw in 2017, we could see in 2018. Interesting. Uh, let's transition to dominators. Uh, so each each episode last year, there was always the question of 
well, there have been, you know, two or three or four dominators historically at this particular track, but we don't really know how the stages will impact what we see this year. Uh, so now we have a year of data to talk about. Uh, first, dominators. Uh, those are the drivers who lead the most laps or have the most fastest laps. Uh, should we, in thinking about this and looking at the stages, should we separate those two uh, different types of domination uh, or should we lump them together? It's like how correlated are those two different types? Yeah, so by and large, they're very correlated. Um, over, since 2005, there's a correlation coefficient of something like 0.55 or 6 overall. Uh, which is very correlated for, for you know, laps led and fastest laps. Uh, very often we'll see a driver get out front, not only will they lead laps, but it'll put up some fastest laps. However, fastest laps do tend to be a little more uh, flatly distributed or, or maybe a little more randomly just because tire fall off uh, is different. If, if you're out in the lead and you get an eight-second lead or a five-second lead and your tires start to go away, well, you, you're, you'll still be leading, but your lead might go from eight to seven to six to five, four, three, two, one seconds. So other drivers are going faster than you, even though you're still leading. So they're not perfectly correlated, obviously. What we saw in 2017, I thought was very interesting. Compared to 2014, 2015, and 2016, 2017 had the most correlation between laps led and fastest laps. So and what I did is, is take just the percentage of laps led and the percentage of fastest laps for each race. So if a driver, if there was 100 laps, and a driver led 60 laps, then he had 60% laps led. And if he had 40 fastest laps, then he had 40%. So I plotted the 60% versus the 40%. Each data point, you can get a pair for every driver in every race. And uh, 2017 had the most correlation, and it was quite higher, uh, quite a bit higher. It, the previous three years, the correlation was about 0.56. So right along the average of the prior 15 years, um, was the correlation coefficient R squared was uh, not the correlation coefficient, but I should say the square of the correlation coefficient, the R squared was 0.556, right in that neighborhood. 2017, the R squared was 0.625. So definitely a change. However, it's only about a 6% extra change. So um, it's not like it's a massive, massive difference, but there was more correlation between laps led and fastest laps. That said, by and large, we should be treating them similarly. Uh, obviously, most of the drivers who lead laps will be having some of the fastest laps as well because of the cars that are up front and they're the best. But we do need to understand that fastest laps do tend to be a little more widely distributed. Uh, and I, there was more correlation in 2017 than in years past. And we'll talk about that some more as well. But I think I have a hypothesis why. Okay, uh, let's start with laps led, uh, just because that's what we tend, tend to think of more as uh, domination. Uh, how did the dominators in laps led for 2017 compare to the dominators for the previous years? Yeah, so what I did is I broke down the number of drivers each year that led like 20% or more of the laps, 30%, 40%, 50% or more of the laps, and then two-thirds or more of the laps in any given race. So for the number of drivers, and there's been 36 races in every season, uh, the same tracks and all those, et cetera. So it's all apples to apples. From 2014 to 2015 to 2016 to 2017, I'm going to go in order chronologically, the number of drivers that led 20% or more laps was 56 in 2014, 61 in 2015, 65 in 2016, and then at 70 this past year. So it's been increasing every year, and there was a, another increase in 2017. There were 70 uh, times a driver in 
this year led at least 20% of the laps. It's basically two per race. So you're getting pretty much at least on average, about on average, you're getting like two drivers per race that lead 20% or more of the race in 2017. And that's been increasing every year since 2014. If we go to 30%, we still see the same trend, 33, 41, 38, and then this year was 45. So uh, definitely a big jump compared to, um, you know, 20, 2016 to 2017, a jump of seven. But then when we go to 40, 50, and 67% of the laps led, it's pretty much flat between 2014 through 2017. So if we look at 40% or more, it's 22, 22, 27, 24 uh, so it's actually a downtick from 2016, from 27 to 24, but basically the same as 2014 and 2015. So it's, it's essentially flat. 50% or more, 13, 16, 13, 14, and two thirds of the race or more, four, seven, five, and only three this year. So we actually had maybe even a bit fewer, like massive, massive dominators than years past, but kind of might be just noise as well with such a small number there. So uh, overall, I think what we can say is we've had more drivers, um, you know, leading a, a, a portion of the race, but equal or possibly fewer like extreme dominators than in years past, where we were leading like 50 years, two thirds of the race or more. All right. Uh, talk about fastest laps. So for fastest laps, we actually saw basically the same trend. Uh, if you look at the number of drivers that led, or sorry, that had at least 10% of the uh, laps be fastest laps. It went, um, it, it increased every year as well it, it, with 10% or more. Uh, so this year had the most with 75 drivers having at least 10% fastest laps, uh, in any given race. If you go to 20%, it's essentially flat and same with 25%. And then once you get above 25% there, it's like, it's like getting, uh, above 67% in terms of number of laps led. And a, if a driver gets above 33% fastest laps, he's like a crazy dominator. Those basically stayed the same as well. So that really does show the correlation between fastest lap and laps led. Uh, but uh, we, we pretty much saw the same thing. The, the number of drivers that had uh, a good amount of fastest laps, but not like a massive amount of dominant fastest laps was higher, but then the massive amounts was essentially this unchanged from years past. Okay, so uh, with the increase in dominators of over 20%, but I guess the sort of the stagnation or the status quo of drivers uh, leading 40% or more, uh, what is your conclusion on dominators for 2017 relative to the previous season, kind of through this lens of the stages? So my conclusion, the way this kind of reads to me is like, well, it doesn't it doesn't actually seem like there would be uh, more drivers in overall. What I should say is, is because we have so many drivers, you know, a number of drivers leading at least 20 percent, but not as many massive, massive dominators. What I think is happening here is that we're just getting dominators more concentrated. Uh, so in years past, maybe we had. 25 drivers that could dominate a race. And maybe this year we only had really had like 20 drivers that could dominate a race. Uh, so essentially things are more concentrated. So you have less of those drivers taking away 5% or 3% or 2% or 9% uh, of the, the laps. So essentially you throw all those away and it allows those guys who are maybe at the 15 or 12 or 18% level to get up to the 20% level. So the domination was actually concentrated 
but there wasn't an increase in the ones that were just like massively dominant. Um, obviously, Truex was and Kyle Busch was, et cetera. But at times we have those every year. It's uh, like uh, so what I think happened is that the mid range of dominators basically split. There was a, a, diver, a divergence there. Uh, whereas in the past, maybe you could get a few drivers with 5% to 15%. It kind of split and those 5% drivers kind of just fell off and that has to go somewhere. And it's oftentimes it goes to those drivers who maybe led 10 or 12 or 15% and push them over that 20% threshold. So I actually, I actually think there was a concentration of dominance in uh, what we saw in 2017. Now, was that related to the stages? Maybe, maybe not. I tend to think not, just because if anything, the stages should create more strategy, more variation, but uh, we didn't see accidents go up. We we basically saw fewer debris cautions, so essentially we were, we were getting to the stage, we were seeing more green flag laps intentionally, I guess, uh, you know, with the same number of accidents and then fewer degree cautions. There were more intended green flag laps uh, if we count the stages as like, um, obviously just like fixed things. So what I think is, is because there was more racing, um, maybe it was just, just because there was more racing and less actual shuffling, then maybe that actually contributed to fewer uh, dominators among those like that mid pack of dominators. So it's kind of hard to explain, but essentially what I think is because we had more intended racing and uh, you know fewer debris cautions, fewer weird things happening, uh, there was there was just more racing, and more racing meant the better drivers stayed out front more. So um, maybe not not like massively dominant because we still had cautions that shoveled things up, but I think the same group of drivers tended to stay near the front more because we had more intended racing. Okay, so based on your hypothesis of uh, a concentration of domination uh, among a small group of drivers, but really no change uh, with extremely dominant drivers, would we see uh, how I guess would we see that reflected in finishing position? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I thought this was very interesting. If we look at the number of drivers, unique drivers at a top five. And then the number of unique drivers that had a top three finish, 2017 was far below average from the prior three years. So if you take 2014, 2015, and 2016, the average number of drivers of those years that had a top five finish, at least one top five finish, was 24 point, you know, like 6667 or whatever. Uh, this past year, there was only 21, so much lower. Uh, and it was the lowest of all of the years by far. So you know, not many drivers get in top fives, which, again, suggests it's just more of a concentration because if you have more drivers – and the other thing I should say is I removed the restrictor plate and the road course races from this and just looked at all of the ovals that aren't restrictor plates because that tends to be where your real race is from. And so it really does seem to be that on the bulk of the schedule, uh, there was a concentration of drivers who could finish inside that top five would be potentially dominant. Um, and then if we, we do the same with just a top three, which is even more prestigious, even harder to get, uh, we see the same kind of difference that 2017 was by far the lowest year of the past four years in the number of drivers getting top three. So I really do think there was concentration among these drivers that could finish way up there. And that also, you know, the fact that you can finish way up there typically also means you're probably dominating uh, at times throughout the season. So 
I really do think it was a concentration of of drivers of of I don't know if it's talent drivers or manufacturers or what, but there was absolutely a concentration this year when we look at finishing position, when we look at dominance uh, of who could do that, who could achieve the kind of results. Okay, uh, let's talk about qualifying because. Last year, it seemed like every other race, there was some sort of issue with qualifying, uh, whether it was weather or it was cars failing inspection. Uh, when you looked at the data uh, retroactively, what did you see in terms of how that impacted DFS? Yeah, I mean, it really, especially early in the season, it really seemed like uh, teams were struggling with these technical issues or whatever you may call them, getting through technical inspection uh, so I focused on that. I didn't look at weather or, or things like that. I mean, obviously, it is a special situation as well, but then it's just lined up by points. Um, but what really stands out is when we have these technical issues and you get a bunch of drivers who are good to great qualifying in the back because they never even got to take a qualifying run. And that happened four or five times this year, depending on how you count them. But essentially of those, I'll just say five of those five times uh, we had where we had multiple drivers. When I say multiple, I don't just mean two, at least three drivers or more qualifying way in the back due to technical issues. Uh, and when I say way in the back, um, it depends on the race. One of the races, I think it was at Texas, Jimmy Johnson was 29th because he failed technical inspection. But there were so many drivers that we had like 29th through 34th all failing technical inspection that were actually pretty good drivers. So there was like six or seven drivers we could choose from that were good to great drivers. In other races, there are maybe three or four. But even then, if you get like an Eric Jones or Ryan Blaney and uh, Joey Logano, let's say, three of those drivers qualifying in the back, uh, it still is very important because obviously these are guys that have a good chance of you know, picking up uh, a lot of place differential. So one of the things I did is I pulled the GPP results from those races and I looked at my cash game lineup from those races. And in all of those except one, the cash game lineup also made the GPP cut. And it's interesting because if you think about it, um, a cash game lineup, you're just trying to beat 50% of the field, approximately, you know, 55% or 50%, depending on if you're doing a 50-50 or a double up. But essentially, you're trying to beat out half the field with a cash game lineup. And we were beating GPPs. There's around a 20 to 25 percent of the field caches. So you're essentially beating more than uh, four out of every five players with your cash game lineup uh, in GP. And the reason is GPP lineups typically are a little suboptimal. People are trying to pick contrarian plays. And by definition, contrarian plays are a little suboptimal in terms of like, trying to optimize a number of points. Now, they may be optimal for a GPP if you're just trying to win first place. So a cash game lineup is very unlikely to win first place in a GPP. So cash game lineups typically aren't optimal for GPPs, uh, but they are optimized in that the expected number of points you get over the long run, if you were to replay the race thousands of times over, uh, would be the highest. So... That said, uh, because people are making suboptimal plays, trying to go contrarian on on different things and not playing these guys enough, these lineups were cashing with a very high frequency. And when I say four out of five races, um, what what I mean is uh, in four of the races, all of my cash game lineups cashed, whether I made one or multiple. And in the fifth race, I made three cash game lineups because there were so many drivers to choose from back there. And uh, two of my three cash game lineups cashed and the other one did not. So I ran 
three trains of 50, I think one time, and uh, I cashed 100 lineups. So um, I looked at that. All my cash game lineups seem to cash. So if we have that again in 2018, I think that's going to be something we might want to take advantage of. Now, of course, you're probably not going to win a GPP, but if you – you know, if you uh, more than double your money on 150 lineups, uh, I think you're going to be in pretty good shape. So something to keep an eye on. Of course, we also have to see if the theory changes around that. If other people start doing that as well, then it might become a little less optimal to just run a train of cash game lineups and GPPs. But I thought that was interesting. All five of those races, my personal cash game lineup, uh, at least one of them, if not all of them, made the GPP cash line. Okay, one final question here. So uh, a year's worth of data now with the stages is what we have. Uh, So taking into account um, the changes with cautions and dominators and, uh, you know, parity or lack thereof, uh, how do you think all of that will impact 2018 with the changes that we have in drivers and cars and the rules? I think there's going to be two things that we need to keep an eye on. Um, the first will, of course, be with this Chevy. Uh, what's going to happen there? And, and then, you know, they get a chance to upgrade, possibly upgrade their car, um, a new design. And we'll have to see if they're dominant and the Toyotas are dominant. Then we could have a concentration of dominators like we saw in 2017, but maybe even possibly slightly more concentrated. It's just like the Chevys and Toyotas with the occasional Ford mixed in, whether it's Kozlowski, Logano, Harvick, or, or somebody like that. But, uh, we could see possibly even more concentration. It'll be interesting because NASCAR is also changing their laser inspection system a little bit. So we'll have to see how that impacts technical inspection before qualifying. If we're going to have more or fewer of these incidences, I'm not sure. I would like to think it'll be easier because it'll be quicker and faster for NASCAR to do this. So we'll have fewer of these times where we have qualifying uh, really being jumbled up. But uh, I'm not really sure forward 2018 so those are two major things to keep an eye on it will be the chevys as well as the technical inspection other than that the other thing i think is we now have a year's worth of stage data um, to see how some of these races played out and i think teams obviously as the season went on will have learned from the strategy uh, even in 2017 but now that the season's over and they really have you know three months to sit down and analyze data they'll probably be able to pick out strategies that seem to have worked better or not. So we could see, I think, possibly a little bit more optimized strategy around stages, um, some better pit stop decisions during or you know in the middle of stages, possibly planning for when cautions happen a little bit better. So it could be harder to, uh, I guess, jump the field on strategy, which would actually make things um, a little more predictable. Uh, so, you know, I think we could see in, in terms of cautions, I don't expect a whole lot to be different. But I think maybe we will see a little more predictability than last year. Um, like I talked about at the beginning, we had a equal to or more options, which should jumble things up. But uh, there was a more concentration of good drivers. Uh, and, and so, you know, things should have been more predictable when you have a more concentration of good drivers, but also less predictable with more cautions. Well, I think we'll see more predictability this year, uh, both in dominators and just because I think teams will be more optimized on strategy. So there'll be there will probably be less uh you know, things where strategies all over the place. I know we saw places where it was Pocono. There's always strategy at Pocono, but definitely I think we'll see some more optimized strategy this year as well. All right, Nick, good stuff. It was good only stuff. a matter of time until I said that. Um, okay, everyone, 
Remember the early bird discount and then the 30% discount on top of that through rotavis.com slash NASCAR podcast. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.